0: The sermon text this morning is from Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. These are the words of God. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer and amen. Well, this morning we are shifting gears a bit in our series on the Christian family. Uh, For five weeks, we talked about marriage, and now we uh, come to the fruit of marriage, which is children. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at the blessing of children. Uh, next week is going to be all about the duties of children. And then uh, the week after that, actually, uh, Les will be preaching on uh, grandparents. So you'll, you'll get a sermon. We're just covering the whole, the whole family here. Um, in these two Psalms before us, uh, God extols children as a blessing. You, you can see in Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Children are an inheritance or a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Uh, Psalm 128, likewise, describes the blessing of a man who fears the Lord as having a wife who's like a fruitful vine and children who are like olive plants around the table. Fruitfulness was the divine command given to Adam and Eve, right? We saw this uh, when we looked at the the purpose for marriage. It was to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And uh, these two psalms have have a lot of uh, resonances back to Genesis 1 to 3. This is really what we have in these psalms, a portrait of that uh, fulfillment, there are many echoes here of that primordial garden in Eden, including God's promise to Eve that one day her seed would crush the serpent's head. So, children are undoubtedly a blessing, they are a gift from God. But, like all blessings and all gifts, if stewarded poorly or unfaithfully, they can become curses and a ruin. Just as marriage is a good gift from God, but can become a great source of heartache and pain, so also children. And so for as much as God extols children as a blessing, we must always keep in mind that blessings can be squandered. Children are born sinners. They are born with carnal flesh that is at enmity with God. And until that sinful nature has been subdued by the Holy Spirit, that blessing is ever in danger of becoming a curse. You think, where did all of the evil in our world come from? Why is our world so screwed up? Well, it's because of people. We are all somebody's child. Every murderer, every criminal was a little baby once upon a time. The way that scripture speaks of this is in terms of being either a child of the serpent or a child of the promise. Jesus calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He says, uh, the devil is their daddy. And meanwhile, the righteous are called the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Christ. Listen to what uh, Galatians 4, 26 to 28 says. Uh, Paul says, but Jerusalem, which, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So all children are either children of the serpent or children of the promise. If you walk according to the flesh, you will die. You will be regarded as the serpent's seed. But if you walk according to the spirit, you will live and you will live free. And it is only this latter group that is a true blessing. And that is what is the focus of Psalm 127 and 128. So let's walk through uh, these two short and quite beautiful psalms and draw from them some lessons for uh, parenting and for child rearing. So uh, starting in 127 verse 1, it says, "'Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain.'" this psalm, as, as all the psalms, uh, are about Christ and the church, uh, but there are many uh, applications from it. So uh, Solomon's temple was a figure of the holy city to come, and Paul says, we are that city. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the place where God's spirit dwells. So there are many layers to these psalms, and this is one of them. You could uh, preach a whole sermon on politics from this. You could preach a sermon on many different kinds of uh, church buildings, building projects. Uh, But here we're going to just look at it through the lens of child rearing. Uh, During the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews were working to rebuild the temple. They were working to rebuild uh, the walls amidst the ruins of Jerusalem. Uh, You remember there were times when they labored with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Half of the men stood guard as soldiers while the other half worked construction. And yet here in verse one, we see that unless the Lord is the builder and the Lord is standing guard, all of our earthly labor is in vain. You can imagine uh, the Jews trying to rebuild and them singing this kind of song together, right? They know except the Lord does this thing It's not going to to work. And this certainly applies to Christian households. Except Christ be the cornerstone and the Holy Spirit, the mortar that holds everything together, all of the work is in vain. Might as well uh, send the construction crew home. There are men who work long hours. There are women who sacrifice their bodies to bear children. There are meals to be cooked, dishes to wash, and endless piles of laundry to fold. But none of that is of any lasting value unless God is at work within you. And if he is at work within you, then it is of eternal value. Everything you fold, every time you're putting your kids' clothes back inside out, that's, that's honoring God. That's eternal work right there. Uh, Colossians three twenty three to 24 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Remember what Jesus says about the person who gives a cup of cold water to a child, right? That is, that is an eternal good work that God is going to bless. So think about that. That is one of the ways that God builds Christian households is by you as parents giving your child a little cup of cold water. When God builds something, he loves to use human instruments. Um, he doesn't need us. To, he, he could have just uh, popped out humans all at you know 20 years old and then we never age or something like that. He could have done it a lot of different ways, but this is the way he's chosen to do it. This is the wisdom of God. When God builds something, he actually gets more glory out of it by using human instruments. Think about scripture. God used prophets and apostles to write his word. Uh, He used Bezalel, the son of Uri, to craft his tabernacle. He used David and Solomon and stonemasons and carpenters to build his temple. And he uses parents and pastors and faithful discipline to build children up for his kingdom. Except the Lord build the house, except we work heartily as unto him, we labor in vain that build it. Verse two continues in this line, it says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Here the psalmist declares the vanity of working without faith, of working from a sense of anxiety and stress instead of working from a place of peace. We all know what it's like to eat the bread of anxious toil. You're trying to, you know, scarf down your food at your desk or on the road somewhere uh, to rush through meals because there are not enough hours in the day. This is the affliction of modern man. He's always busy. He's always wired. And he's always eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, we know from many other places in the Bible that it is good to work hard. It's actually good to get up early and at times to stay up late. We see this with the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, You see this in Psalm 63, uh, David, you know, getting up in the watches of the night, early seeking the Lord. Uh, Paul himself says he worked harder than any of the other apostles. And so what is the difference between that kind of work and this kind of work that is done in vain? Well, the difference is faith. The difference is the spirit in which we obey. Are you doing what God says is really most important? Are your priorities his priorities? What is the attitude of your heart as you get up early or sit up late? Are you raising children with a spirit of joy and gratitude? What spirit are you of? Paul says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what kind of spirit are you working hard in? What is driving you? What is motivating you? Is it love or is it worry? Is it faith or is it fear? Are you like Martha who was full of cares and troubled about many many things and who forgets that Christ is sitting in her home? Right, how are you sleeping? How are your anxiety levels? Who is the one that you are really trusting to raise your children? Except the Lord builds the house, except the Lord be at work within you, you labor in vain. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now it is part of the uh, divine humor that God sets the blessing of sleep right next to one of the main thieves of sleep, which are children. Verse 3. <laughs> Lo all right, I love that in the King James. Lo, here they are. Children, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, um, in case you missed it, sleep is a metaphor for trusting God. It is a mini Sabbath, right? You have to kind of be dead. This right? a miniature death. And when you trust God, when you die, when you sleep, he gives you whatever you need to obey him. God never requires of us something he does not first supply. And this is crucial to remember when it comes to raising children. If God desires godly offspring as he commands in Malachi 2.15, then he will give us whatever we need to do that, including instructions from his word. Listen to some of these Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Right? So you want that blessedness of sleep? You need to discipline your kids. Proverbs twenty two fifteen 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. There are countries, I, I just learned, yeah, in Scotland, I believe, you can, it's illegal to spank your kids, right? And I, I wonder, you know, what would happen, what do the pastors do when they come to this, this verse, right? It says, the rod of correction shall drive it far from him, the, the child. So parenting requires us to walk by faith. It requires us to diligently do what God commands in his word, not listening to whatever you know pop psychology is telling you about children and how you're, you know, you're going to damage their brains or something like that. And the father and the mother who sleeps well is the father and the mother who obeys God, who gives thanks and then leaves the outcome up to him. We plant, we water, we weed, we prune, but God is the one who gives the growth. So children are fruit. That is the picture we are given of them. They are this living plant. So treat them as such. Finally, in verses 4 to 5, we see that children are to grow up into weapons. Verse 4, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Uh, This is one of the places where uh, the King James obscures this a bit um, by by saying uh, children here. In Hebrew, this is a masculine word, and it refers uh, specifically to sons. Uh, So sons are in view here. Sons are to be arrows in the hand of a mighty man. So that means raising sons that are sharp, sons that are dangerous, sons that are unafraid of enemies in the gate. Uh, Godly sons are the church's private militia. They are the future elders and cherubim who will stand guard at the door. And in this effeminate age, we must go out of our way to raise courageous sons. This especially means protecting protecting them from things like pornography, protecting them from women who will steal their strength. What was Solomon's mother's advice to him? Do not give your strength to women. This uh, it means encouraging them. It means respecting them, it means challenging them to take risks, and then loving them like crazy, whatever the outcome. The same, of course, goes for daughters, but in a different mode. Daughters must be sharpened so they can see through the many lies of feminism, so they can see through the myriad deceptions that dishonor and demean motherhood, and tell women to exchange marriage and children for a successful career. What the world extols in the strong, independent woman is an abomination in the eyes of God. How is the woman saved? According to 1 Timothy 2.15, Paul says she shall be saved in childbearing, that is, in, in bringing children up, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So sons must be trained to defend and protect the household, and daughters must be trained to beautify the household, to make it into a glorious home. This is the picture we see from Genesis to Revelation. And we see the same picture, but from a little bit different angle in the next Psalm, Psalm 128. It begins this way, verses 1 and 2, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. So here we have the contrast to the man who labors in vain, the man who eats the bread of anxious toil. There's that guy, and then you have the blessed man. And the blessed man fears God. He walks in his ways, and therefore he enjoys the fruits of his labors. This means he does honest work as unto the Lord, and therefore his soul is satisfied. This is the man who has learned the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments always be white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with thy wife, whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun." The wise man understands causes and ends. He knows that his life is a vapor, and he knows that life is way too short to complain, especially when heaven has been promised to us and is right around the corner. The wise man knows what his limits are. He knows what the limits of his wife and his children are. The wise man knows that his life and his wife and his children are all gifts, from God, They were given from him, they can be taken at any moment, and therefore they are to be enjoyed and delighted in for what they are. And what are they? Well, we see in verses 3 to 4, the way scripture describes them. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. So here the wife is likened to a fruitful vine. She, she is what makes the, the home sweet like grapes and glorious like wine. And notice where she is located. She is located in the heart of the home. This phrase, uh, by the sides of thine house, is, um, kind of c- communicates something different to us in our day. But it refers to the walls of the innermost chamber or the interior court of an ancient home. Grape vines are delicate, and they need to rest usually upon a trellis or some kind of wall, and that is the picture here. She is what adorns and nourishes the household. Like the trees in the Garden of Eden, the wife is both pleasant to the sight and good for food. That is the portrait of a blessed home. While the wife is like a fruitful vine, the children are called olive plants, olive plants sitting around uh, the table. Now, uh, most of us probably don't know much about olive trees, but this is a deep and potent sign to consider. The Bible talks a lot about olives, if you were to just look this up. They're all over the place. Um, Olive trees take years of care and wise pruning to produce good fruit. We see in Leviticus 19 that Israel was not even allowed to eat from the fruit of the vine until after the fifth year that the tree had been planted. Uh, Depending on the soil and other factors, an olive tree at its fastest takes seven to eight years to reach full production. And many of them take as long as 65 to 80 years to reach a stable yield. But when an olive tree is well planted and well pruned and well nourished, it can actually last for thousands of years. There are olive trees still bearing fruit today, that are over 2,000 years old, and some that are uh, claimed to be much longer. So that's on the the conservative side. One of the reasons an olive branch is a symbol of peace is because without many years of peace, no olives ever grow. Young olive plants, like children, need a peaceful and stable environment if you want them to produce fruit. Olive plants, like children, are a long-term investment. You don't, you know, put them in the microwave, and out they pop. The ta- and Yeah, and you don't do that, <laughs> ever. Right. Uh, the task of parenting is like the task of pruning. And pruning, if you know, uh, takes skill and wisdom. Uh, listen to this excerpt from of uh, the Mediterranean Garden Society on how to care for an olive tree. This was my research over the weekend, you know, learning about olives. Uh, notice Notice the many parallels here to parenting. And right now, they're just talking about You know, how you prune a tree. The pruning of young trees follows two contradictory principles that must be balanced. The first is to shape the tree into the form that, except for frost damage, will be its structure for life. The other is to allow the young tree to grow and build enough energy reserves. An old tree can be chopped and hacked with impunity and will rebound with enormous vigor from the energy reserves in the roots and trunk. The young tree will not. A determination to form the perfect shape by excessive pruning will weaken the young tree and stunt its growth for a number of years. Achieving the right balance is part of the realm of art and talent that distinguishes the good pruner from the bad. Now, um, I say that because most, I don't think anyone has olive plants in their, in their backyard. Maybe you do. I, I, I know they need a lot of sunshine, but this would have been super obvious uh, to Jews and really for the vast majority of human society for, you know, 5,000 years. Uh, the Mount of Olives, you guys know that place, is right near the temple, And that is what likely supplied the oil they needed to keep the lamps burning in the temple. So uh, you can't even have sacrificial worship, light in the tabernacle or light in the temple without oil from the olive. This was commanded in Exodus chapter 27. So this is an essential uh, plant for their livelihood. So when God likens children to olive plants around your table, just think about this balancing act. This balancing act of pruning enough to give your children their lifelong shape, right? What does Proverbs say? When they're old, they will not depart from it, but also not over pruning and stunting their growth, not killing their spirit. David says in Psalm 52 verse 8, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. This is what we want our children to be evergreen, and bearing fruit forever because they are rooted in the house of God. And that is the picture that Psalm 128 portrays for our children. We close with verses five and six. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. The blessing of the Lord is to see days of peace. Peaceful years where children grow up and marry and bear children of their own. If there is any prayer that we should pray fervently for God to answer, it is that all of our children to a thousand generations until Christ's return would keep covenant with Him, that not a single one would fall away, not one would depart from the faith, and that each generation would be more godly than the last. We should want our children to surpass us in wisdom and virtue and give unto their children even more than we were ever able to give them. That is the long game. That is the long-term investment. That is the work of faith. And except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain that build it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, Amen. amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Christ who is the true fruit of the womb. We thank you for um, his death, his life, his resurrection that shows us the way unto salvation. God, you have been exceedingly kind and merciful to us as a nation, and though we have rebelled against you, though we love to worship idols and rail against you all day long, you continue to call us to repentance, call us back to you. God, you know that our hands are guilty with the blood of the innocent. You know how many babies have been murdered in this country and how many people are hardened in their conscience, uh, seared they don't even know. And so, God, we ask that you would cause us as a church to show forth the beauty and blessing of children, that this would become the norm again in our nation, that children would be seen not as a resource that just consumes, but as something that is a producer, and a producer that leads to greater life and flourishing for all. God, help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.